Next Chapter Podcasts. Hello there, my sleazy little beast. Before we get started today, I wanted to tell y'all about another show that dives into life's dirty and delicious corners. Have you ever wondered about the science of cannibalism, necrophilia, or even body hair? Taboo Science is the podcast that answers the questions you're not allowed to ask. It's hosted by Ashley Hamer, who's not your average science writer. With a background hosting for Discovery and a flair for the unconventional, she gets to the heart of things we don't talk about to understand what we've been missing. Listen as top scientists, authors, and experts join her in unraveling these fascinating, often misunderstood topics, all wrapped up in a narrative that's engaging, witty, and easy on the ears. Find Taboo Science on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Dare to discover the science you thought was off limits. This is episode 10 of Indecent, and so far we've done a whole goddamn lot of peeling at the wallpaper of polite society. We started this pod talking about porn, and last week we ventured into murder porn when we spoke with true crime researcher Dr. Amanda Vickery. You know, some of it can be very tastefully done, right? There are datelines and podcasts where the victim's families are a part of it. They're on there talking about it. Or like the wrongful convictions when you're trying to right a wrong. You know, that stuff is is all great. But does it appeal to something morbid in us? Like why, before I go to bed at night, do I want to read about someone being brutally murdered, right? It, it is weird. And I think that there is something innate within all of us that, that draws us to this. And I think it all relates back to survival. And once we got past the gag reflex on these two subjects, we found that people generally have a hard-on for being shocked. This podcast exists because red-blooded Americans love stains and holes, both the violent and freaky variety. Schwing. People love being in their feelings. The horny, scary, sad, loving, angry, relieved, excited feelings. Not to mention self-righteousness. We all love being the hero, don't we? And right now, some PR person is sitting in a room somewhere thinking how they can cash in on those emotions. Few pockets are lined without the help of a well-oiled marketing machine. But sometimes, those machines fuck up worse than a self-driving Tesla trying to avoid hitting a grandma. Now, whether or not those fuck-ups are intentional? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Back in the 1800s, famous freak show promoter P.T. Barnum coined the phrase, there is no such thing as bad publicity, which is kind of ironic considering his circus eventually closed its doors in 2017 after getting canceled for torturing one too many elephants. But it does make you wonder how some companies seem incapable of taking a beat before slipping on a banana peel directly into a pile of shit. Take Balenciaga, for example. I'm obsessed with Balenciaga. Not as a consumer, I can't afford that shit, but as a spectator, they're amazing. They are the shockiest jocks of fashion, and I constantly wonder, is it working? Remember when Balenciaga sold muddy, janky sneakers for like two grand? Or, ooh, more criminal, when they put heels on Crocs? Or better yet, remember in 2022, when one of their ads had children holding teddy bears in bondage gear, standing in front of a collage of paperwork about child porn laws? <laughs> Are you serious? Who approved that? And who's dropping bans on this brand that isn't also on Epstein's flight logs? While this seems like a wet dream engineered by Fox News, it's honestly still not super clear how or why this happened. There's been a lot of fingers pointed and many a TikToks made. 
It's hard to believe that this was a misfire. I mean, someone had to dress the bears. Someone had to shoot them, edit them, send them to print. But also, it's nothing new. Mew Mew once did something very similar, where a young Mia goth posed as a little girl in a sexually suggestive pose on a bed. While she was over 18, the creepiness was implied and overt. Oh, and remember when Zara went all Holocaust chic and dropped a striped shirt with a yellow star on it? <sighs> Sometimes the blame for these uh, artistic choices is less obvious, especially on Twitter, where one person can force a rebrand on a whim. In 2017, Amy Brown revolutionized Wendy's Twitter by roasting someone who forgot refrigerators existed and later tweeting passive-aggressive remarks at McDonald's. And Buffalo Wild Wings once posted some vulgar, racist tweets because its account got hacked, supposedly. I mean, is it any shocker that the strip mall kingpins of hot wings and football might say the N-word in their private group text? There have also been instances where a single person tanked a brand without the help of 280 characters, or whatever the hell Twitter's limit is now. We probably don't need to rehash the Kanye Adidas era, so I offer you Gilbert Gottfried, who was dropped as the voice of the Aflac duck for tweeting jokes about a tsunami that hit Japan. Ah! Tiger Woods got dropped by brands like Gillette and Pepsi for dragging his dick through every wet hole and sand trap that he could find, and Kellogg's dropped Michael Phelps for smoking pot. Honestly, that one's on then. I mean, come on, Kellogg's. Do you have any idea how many thousands of pounds of frosted mini wheats you've sold thanks to stoners across the globe? <laughs> Companies will go to any length to protect their brand, and they'll pull any stop to snatch your wallet. And as the world becomes more politically divided than ever, some brands have used this as an opportunity to make a statement. Statements that oftentimes come off tone deaf as hell as conceptualized by multi-million or billion dollar companies. I mean, remember when Kendall Jenner tried to end police brutality by handing out Pepsis? Or Dove turning a black woman into a white woman? Then there was Chipotle's rainbow burrito with the tagline, Homo estas. Okay, actually, that one's kind of funny. People still buy t-shirts of it to this day. In a country where corporations control our politics, it can be difficult for any brand to stay apolitical. And corporate responsibility is a huge draw for many consumers. Consistency is key, though. Anheuser-Busch's Born the Hard Way ad helped highlight immigrant struggles and became one of the most watched Super Bowl ads ever. But their pro-every-American stance was nowhere to be found when trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney got caught in their crossfire. So how can for-profit companies assuage the existential woes of their customers while also being authentic to their brands? The jig is up on capitalism. The curtains have been pulled back and the sheeple have gotten wise. How can companies convince consumers that they mean well without woke-washing? And why do some companies choose to go the opposite direction and commit flagrant quote-unquote mistakes? That's why we're talking today with brand and marketing consultant Katie Martell. She's the author and producer of Woke Washed, a book, lecture, and documentary exploring what happens when marketing and social movements collide. Her work's been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Adwick, CNBC, and at conferences and universities all over the world. And she did her absolute best to help explain what in the ever-loving fuck these companies are thinking. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for being with us. Kiki, thanks so much for having me. My favorite, what is it, white Latina Jewish comedian. <laughs> lovely, lovely to spend time with you. You know, there's not a lot of us. <laughs> you got to own your niche. As a marketer, I appreciate the branding. It's great. No, oh, well, thank you. You know, that's high praise. That's exactly what we came to you for, actually. <laughs> done, you've done good. 10 out of 10, nailed it. The pink hair just sets it off. Wish people could see it listening. Is that something you think about as a marketer? Do you think about your own brand a lot? 
Oh, constantly. It's funny. I got into tech marketing out of you know school, but more recently, I'm just completely independent. And so I do have a personal brand that I actually monetize and make my money on. So it's I think about it more than most people. I have built this kind of personal brand, mostly on LinkedIn, actually. I'm kind of a big deal on LinkedIn, which I'm just going to say, I don't even know how that sounds or how it reads, but you tell me. Um, but it, it gets me opportunities for things like speaking engagements and kind of influencer work, but like tech influencer work. So I make a lot of funny videos on company for companies like Adobe and other kind of software companies. And there's money to be made, my friend, in the world of influencer marketing, especially in tech. So I think about it constantly. So you've seen it all in terms of marketing. I'm sure you spend a lot of time like reading about this, listening to podcasts about it, I'm sure. When, we're, when brands have something that's super controversial, Balenciaga with the child porn campaign, like what, what happened there? And like, what do you think, like how do marketing campaigns even get established? Is it one person making the mistake? Is it a boardroom of people? Like how does something like that happen? It's a confluence of things. And I think marketing is a great industry to get in because you're sitting at the center of culture and business, right? And I think marketing's job is to create what's next and listen to what's happening and try to, again, differentiate. Every marketer has to kind of contend with the idea that now there are thousands of options, no matter what category you're in, um, for consumers. And so it's always about saying, what is the consideration set? Meaning, what are the competitors? And how do we differentiate? Um, there's you know, a book called Zag. How do we zig when they zag? Or what's our blue ocean strategy? Like all the sharks in a water, right? They create a red, you know, everyone's fighting over the same fish. What's the blue ocean? What's the place that we can go there? No one is that we can own meaningfully. The way that you have owned your niche brilliantly, you know, there's a way to kind of set yourself apart. And so these campaigns come from this strategic way of getting around what everyone else is doing. And it puts you in situations where you're trying to push the envelope. You're trying to be edgy. You're trying to be different you end up maybe doing some accidental child porn. Who among us? Who among us? <laughs> but typically, it's driven by consumer insights, right? Marketing agencies who are paid millions of dollars to tell companies and brands what to do. And then it's kind of uh, iterated over time based on how the public is responding. We now have access to, in real time, how people feel about a campaign or feel about something. And the idea is marketers want engagement. They want people to be talking about them. They want to be in the mouths of their consumers. And so that means they step into controversial topics. The worst thing that can happen to a brand is irrelevance, is not being talked about, is not being part of the conversation. I mean, it's literally, are you a pedophile or are you not a pedophile? Are you like pandering to pedophiles? Is that who your new market is? Like that's that one's so crazy. I can't imagine anyone thinking that's a good idea. Look at the history of marketing to women. I mean, the sexualization of children in advertising. One of my idols, her name is Jean Kilborn, and she's been looking at the way that marketing has impacted women and children and alcoholism and all the impacts of marketing on us. And it's kind of amazing to kind of look back at our history. That What Balenciaga did is nothing new. Nothing new. Yeah, I guess that's true. Youth is sexualized in this country. Where do you think the grooming allegations have come from? Uh, it's it's prioritized, it's valued, and therefore it's going to be part of a fashion campaign whose job it is, is to keep people feeling new and next and young. Age is not something that sells fashion. And it's, it's fucked up when you think about it. They didn't intend to be pornographic, of course, but the idea of youth being the core of their campaign, I can see that right in a PowerPoint. Our, our, our theme this year, youth, like that's not controversial in a, in a marketing agency. It's, it's really just a way of aligning a brand to different kind of sensations. Like, how do you want a consumer to feel? That brand wanted consumers to feel like, oh, this is 
this is going to give me the fountain of youth, which everybody wants. Which is sexy, which is right. bears and bondage. Oh, my God. The mental gymnastics we just did to get there. <laughs> I'm sold on their campaign now. Fuck. Let's go. Let's go. Well, you actually just touched my ne- the, the next thing I was trying to get to. W- once in a while, you'll see like Forever 21 comes out with a shirt that has Nazi swastikas on it. Or mm-hmm. uh, this new soap came out with something that was like fat phobic or whatever. And you're like, how could you in this day and age do something that's so tone deaf? What about those campaigns? Are those on purpose? Is all press good press, even the bad press? Like, is there somebody sitting here being like, oh, Balenciaga, let's go ahead and make like a weird child porn campaign. That'll get people talking and buying. I think I, in a way, yes. And in a way, no. And in some senses, it's kind of like you don't really know what's going to go viral. You kind of have to be extreme and push and be and push the limits. I think this is why companies have ended up where they are now, because now everyone's being woke. And so we have to jump into the fray. But now because everyone's woke, well, how do you, to your point, how do you differentiate? How do you get people talking about you? You got to keep pushing the envelope, doing more extreme, extreme things. I don't know if there's kind of this, uh, I think manufactured outrage is real. I don't think brands necessarily do it um, strategically, although I think it's a really, it's a lever that some brands do push. I don't think they'd ever admit it though. I think most brands look at this and go, hmm, this is something we could kind of get into with a really prepared crisis comms plan behind it. We're going to make the best of this opportunity. Andy Warhol is like famous. There's like, this is the prevailing mantra of PR. It's Andy Warhol who said, um, don't re- read what they wrote about you. Measure it in inches. You know, when like a newspaper was like, yeah, yeah. How you, you know. and I kind of share that mentality. I believe if you fuck up as a brand, let's look at L'Oreal, for example, right? L'Oreal hired Monroe Bergdorf, transgender advocate uh, and an activist. They hired Monroe well before the kind of Black Lives Matter spike of 2020. She had this Facebook post that said something to the effect of white supremacy is wrong. And I shit you not, it was like not more controversial than it's not okay to be a white supremacist. So Monroe posted that on her Facebook. L'Oreal comes in and fires her as their, you know, as like a, a, an influencer for them. This is before, again, 2020. Um, they go their separate ways. 2020 happens. L'Oreal puts out one of those statements, right, that I mentioned in support of Black Lives Matter saying, speaking out is worth it. And people, Monroe, who has millions of followers, dragged L'Oreal. She, she was like, hello, you told me I couldn't even say white supremacy is bad. And now you fired me. And now you're saying speaking out is worth it. So L'Oreal is sitting here going, oh, shit, we've been called out, right? What do they do? They didn't do what Bud Light did, which is to go, oop, whoop, sorry, didn't mean to piss anyone off. We'll be over here on the football. No, they said, listen, we messed up. We, we messed up. We should have been more uh, inclusive and aware that what Monroe was doing is the right kind of thing. So they actually brought Monroe Burdoff back onto the L'Oreal brand. They had her be like an advisor, this and that. They kind of admitted they held accountability for what they did and they allowed her to be part of the brand moving forward. But is that because L'Oreal is so great or is it they just had a change in leadership and brought in a new person who has, you know, two brain cells to rub together? Very that. <laughs> Very that. <laughs> Very that. Right. But the, the takeaway is that the PR opportunity is to do the right thing uh-huh. and is to say, oh, we fucked up. It's OK for a brand to say we messed up. Here's how we're going to fix it. I think it's actually strong PR because it gets, again, people talking. You have articles now about their response. You have articles about them doing the right thing. It's to cover their ass. It's, to your point, leadership change. But this is what consumers expect. There's this, it's the age of accountability and the age of sunlight. Consumers are voting with their wallet. They're voting with their talent, meaning they're going to work for companies whose values they align with. 
And I, in a perfect world, in, in, in the ways that people talk about this industry, the way this is going to shake out is that the brands that don't support human rights, and that's what these are, these are human rights, right, at the end of the day, will eventually go out of business. And I don't think that's true, but I think it's what people want and wish and hope to be true. I really do. But I think some of these brands are just going to weather the storm PR-wise and, and move on. This is To them, social movements are just another calendar-based PR thing. What is the minority of the month? How do we be part of the conversation? How do we move on without controversy? Which I think is a shame. What's something you've seen recently that like made you cringe? Well, I'm I actually, I have quite a few examples of companies that just anytime someone steps into the realm as they have like really predominantly the last like decade more and more when they step into this world of like social justice or a company tries to be woke or tries to look like they're part of an ally, like allies to this marginalized community, allies to that. I call it the minority of the month. I'm like, which one are we pretending to, you know, be for today? I just, I get cringe at the initial thing. Like, Bud, can we just jump right into Bud Light? Like everyone knows what happened with Dylan Mulvaney and this can that went viral and pissed off everyone on the right for some reason, because apparently if you support trans people, you deserve to be shot at. Did you see the Kid Rock video? No. Oh my God. It's cringe in a way that makes me really angry. And it's kind of like I've built this platform to talk about what's called woke washing and performative allyship from brands. And so I just kind of, I, I can go into much more detail about what happened with Bud Light, but any single time I see a brand step into a world of social justice, I'm like, oh, oh God, what are they going to do next? And usually I'm disappointed. Some allyship is real. Most corporate allyship is bullshit. I want to hear the rest of the Bud Light story because I actually only know about like Dylan Mulvaney being hired and then being got all the backlash. I don't know anything beyond you. that. But I do want to hear your take on like, why would Bud Light even do that? They don't need to be in the political space. It's beer, right? Beer is supposed to be the thing that unites all of us. Beer is about sports and football. And so no, it's funny. It's like a lot of gay people drink beer, FYI. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is this is part of a, a huge and broad trend. Bud Light, what they did this year in 2023 with Dylan Mulvaney, um, it was part of a larger March Madness influencer campaign. And they they sent out cans of Bud Light that had the face of multiple people. Dylan Mulvaney was not the only one, but girl, she is blowing up on TikTok and I would put her on that list too. That is a lot of followers to take advantage of if you're Bud Light wanting to align with where consumers are now, right? It's brands do this to try to kind of uh, align themselves with what's popular, what's next, the cultural zeitgeist. And right now, Dylan Mulvaney and her uh, path to girlhood, she was kind of tracking this transition she's making publicly, she gained millions of followers. So of course she made the list. She was one of many uh, influencers reached out to by Bud Light for March Madness sports, right? And no one else saw the can. It just went to Dylan. It went to her house and she was supposed to post a little, hey, thanks Bud Light. And it blew the fuck up. It blew the fuck up. You had people like Kid Rock using this Bud Light allyship to trans people as a way of, again, kind of attacking the trans community. There's a video with millions, over 11 million, I think it's actually like 15 now, people have seen Kid Rock with a MAGA hat on shooting with an AR-15, a case of Bud Light, simply because they decided to include a trans influencer in their March Madness campaign. And Bud Light has a long history of supporting LGBTQ causes. They sponsor the 2019 GLAAD Media Awards. There's literally pictures of Bud Light rainbow bottles co-branded with GLAAD, which is like a, do you know GLAAD? They're like a media 
advocacy org for LGBTQ. And no one was up in arms about that in 2019. No one was up in arms many, many times before when Bud Light did do some co-marketing in, in this, in, you know, rainbow June type pride marketing. But suddenly, given the kind of, I think, political climate this year, it blew up. And this is what was cringe, right? Bud Light puts out this influencer campaign. People go crazy about it. They're like boycotting Bud Light, go woke, go broke. It made it this big deal. The way Bud and Anheuser-Busch, the parent company, responded was what was so interesting to me because now you've got this choice as a brand. You get to double down on your decision to, again, controversially hire a trans person. Like that's like that's some kind of like crazy thing. Or you can give in to the backlash and Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch gave in to the political backlash. They actually did not stand behind their decision. They fired the VP of marketing. Her name was Alyssa something, Heinerscheid. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. They fired the VP of marketing, Alyssa, who came in and said, if we want to evolve the Bud Light brand, we need to do it in a way that's truly inclusive. Right. Evolve and elevate this iconic brand. We need to be inclusive. So she included trans people in this campaign. Bud Light wrote this statement, and it was Anheuser-Busch, that talked about, quote, their responsibility to America. If you go to the Anheuser-Busch Instagram, which why would you, but you could find this, there's this big statement. It's like got the signature of the CEO, and it's like, we are an American company. We like to ensure that we uh, are, are ready, you know, here for every consumer. We're honored to be part of the fabric of the country, and we never intended to be part of a discussion that divides people. That was what they said. Instead of saying hey, we actually think trans people deserve to live and we're, we're proud to include them in our campaign. Can you imagine the difference if they doubled down and said, actually, trans people are valid <laughs> and deserving of even influencer marketing? Shocker. So why do you think they did that? I mean, what I'm understanding is like, they just went and included Dylan Mulvaney in this campaign, not realizing the impact it would have. It would just be one more influencer holding a beer can. They didn't think that they were making that big of a statement, apparently. And then once they got this backlash, they were like, our sales are tanking or like, why would they why would they take that tank? They did that response, I think, to basically calm the waters. Like I have a background in PR and I think in crisis comms that actually, to be honest, in crisis comms, I would have advised Bud Light to do things differently. I would have said, stand by your decision. Explain why you included trans people. Give people an insight into what you believed going into that decision instead of just saying, yep, we hear you. You don't like trans people. You also want to murder trans people, which, by the way, are disproportionately murdered by gun violence. So Kid Rock holding an AR-15 is incredibly poignant when you match it up against the fact that trans people are four times more likely to be victims of gun violence than any other marginalized community in the country. Anyone else? So you're like, you're Bud Light. You're, yeah, you're a beer company. Yeah, you're just chilling. You have your sports you know, categories, you've got your consumer segments, but you're doing all this in 2023. You're doing all this at a time when like, there are hundreds of legislative movements to try to get trans people to be considered othered in our society, illegal to transition, illegal to give minors access to life-saving surgery, illegal, they're trying to actually criminalize being trans. It's a political landmine right now. And so your Bud Light, why did they say, oh, we don't wanna get into this? Because they stepped into a cultural zeitgeist and a social movement that they were not fully aware of, not fully aware of what the consequences were of doing this. And personally, I think standing by a marginalized community is as easy as saying we believe they deserve to exist and drink beer. Why is that a provocative statement? 
Hmm, selling stuff while taking a half-decent stance doesn't seem that hard to get right, when you really think about it. So why do these companies with $100 million budgets that employ dozens of highly educated marketers keep shitting the bed? We here at Indecent think we could do a way better job, and all we've got are a couple pothead producers and a Google spreadsheet. Since we don't have any real sponsors for our show, we decided to come up with a quote-unquote woke ad campaign for a made-up company. But because we know the machines are coming for our jobs anyways, we had an AI program write and produce the commercial for us. And just for fun, we asked it to make the script as cringe as possible. We love cringe. Lean into your cringe. Enjoy. The scene opens with a group of overly enthusiastic, stereotypically diverse individuals standing in front of a brightly colored backdrop featuring rainbows, unicorns, and other cliched symbols of inclusivity. Hey there, beautiful people. Are you ready for a commercial that's so woke it'll make your third eye pop right open? Introducing Hug-A-Lot, the brand that's here to save the world, one awkwardly forced hug at a time. Because who needs boundaries when you can have a group hug mentality? Cut to a shot of a family dinner where everyone is trying to eat with their hands while sitting on the floor cross-legged. We've reinvented family dinners. Say goodbye to chairs and utensils, and hello to our Organic Feelings meal plan, where food is optional, but sensitivity is required. The camera pans to a shelf filled with jars of overly complicated, politically correct condiments, such as non-GMO, gender-neutral ketchup, and cruelty-free, sustainable mustard. And don't forget our guilt-free, ethically-sourced condiments. Because even ketchup can have a dark side. Cut to a scene of a yoga class where participants are doing bizarre and impractical poses. And of course, our Yoga for YOLO classes will help you stretch your boundaries, literally. Because enlightenment is just a backbend away. The spokesperson then attempts a dramatic yoga pose and falls over. But quickly gets back up with a forced smile. So, why settle for a mundane life when you can embrace cringe-tastic wokeness? Join the Hug-A-Lot revolution today. The commercial ends with a painfully awkward group hug as the cast tries to hold their smiles and the screen fades to black. Oof, that was, uh, yeah. I could see us getting hired to actually make that one. Target, Starbucks, y'all listening? Anyway, let's go back to Katie Martell. Obviously, the, the way that Bud Light responded here is problematic, but the idea that they included a trans influencer isn't really woke washing. It's just them being inclusive in their larger campaign. There was other people involved in this campaign, which I actually wasn't aware of. So, so is there a right way to be a woke brand? Well, here's the whole question is, should we even have woke marketing in the first place? What role does marketing play in the world of social movements? I've been sitting with that question for like over a decade now. Um, and I'm still, I used to kind of sit on the line of, please don't fuck with this. We are trying and trying to earn kind of equality across all of these different social movements, whether it's feminism, racial equality. And you saw of June of 2020, we can dig into the Black Lives Matter woke washing that was happening you have pride and you have the original like uh, greenwashing. So environmental sustainability was like the original trend of that. Um, all of these things are happening. It, you know, these social movements are happening in a time when brands want to be culturally relevant. They need to differentiate. So your question of how do you be a woke beer brand? Well, it's a decision. You double down on whatever it is that sets you apart from the other millions of beer brands out there. It's like cereal. All cereal is the same. The only reason you buy a different box is because of a different logo on the cover. Cereal is a commodity. Beer is a commodity. Marketing is a thing that makes a consumer go, I will pick you and I will pay more. 
And so companies have to tap into whatever will set them apart or make them trusted. I think that's the kind of reason companies do this and have for the last decade. Consumers don't know who to trust. There's studies that show consumers, especially Gen Z, go into a purchase decision thinking, I don't trust anybody. And if you align with a social movement that's near and dear to the hearts of millions of consumers, the majority of Americans support these social movements, it's good marketing. We're going to align ourselves with what's what's happening. Yeah. You know? And what ends up happening now is you get brands going, oh, well, we have to do something. It's Pride Month. Oh, we have to do something. It's Black Lives Matter season. June of 2020 was like every brand and their mom had this like black statement that, you know, on Twitter that was like, you know, rip to George Floyd. And we stand with, you know, black Americans and police brutality must end. Like there was this whole performative game where it was like who could get their statement out fast enough. And they all looked the same. They all literally looked identical. It's performative on both sides, whether you're hating or supporting. Like, it's always performative. It's about appealing to a certain culture and getting their dollars or taking away their dollars, I feel like. So is there a way, like, I don't know, when I see Patagonia fighting for climate change, to me that feels authentic. But maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe they're not authentic. Is there a way to be a brand that genuinely supports a good cause that isn't just trying to pander and take people's money? For sure. And and Patagonia is a wonderful example. Um, thank you for bringing it up. I think there's many companies that have lived the ethos of some of these values. Ben and Jerry's is a great example. They have a whole head of activism, hired a head of activism. I've like sat down and met him in Vermont, you know, and um, it, it's like some companies are on the spectrum of like, we exist to further a social cause. And I think Patagonia, REI, they really align themselves with movements that they know are critical and they, they want to you know create a sustainable future and a green world. And they live those values. They live them in the way that they have supplier diversity. They live them in the way that they actually have uh, programs to allow members to you know give back old clothes and fix old stuff. Stuff that just makes the brand live and helps the consumer experience these values in real time. Most companies looked at the growing popularity of social movements over the past decade and said, ooh, PR opportunity. And most brands were woefully unprepared for the kind of insight they would have to do, the sunlight that consumers were going to you know, cause them to do. Get on Twitter and say, hey, we see your company is doing this on you know, your marketing. Here's the reality of working with you. And so because you have social media, you've got consumers calling out brands for their bad behavior. So now companies have to be on the defensive. Uh, do you know KPMG? One of the big four accounting firms, like okay, one of yeah. the biggest, yes, like professional services, you know, a big, big, big accounting firm, just billions of dollars, right? Um, they, in 2016, put out this, this kind of ad campaign that looked at their sponsorship of a women's golf tournament. And the ad is this cute little, like there's a, there's a professional golfer and then there's a female professional golfer and he invites her to tee up. She tees up, she hits the ball, the ball goes, and the ball breaks the glass ceiling, Kiki, in a laboratory, in a, I think a courtroom, in an office, and you see the glass kind of falling. And it's Ooh. all about breaking the glass, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Breaking the glass ceiling in golf and everywhere else, you know, KPMG, yada, 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 we stand with, happy to sponsor this golf tournament, right? Cute little ad, love that, great. Same time that this ad was going live. KPMG was the subject of a $400 million class action lawsuit alleging a pattern of gender discrimination in its own organization at the exact same time this was running. The lawsuit alleged that they denied promotions to women and penalized them for taking maternity leave, which is a very common thing that happens in the world of business. So do you think that they were doing that campaign because they knew they were about to get bad press? 
I don't know. That's a great question. One has to ask. But I actually think that those are two different parts of a business that don't talk to each other. Legal, right, versus marketing. And marketing is typically done with external agencies whose job it is to say, this is hot. This is the zeitgeist right now. Here's how to plug into it. They don't really talk. And so what happens is you get called out publicly. And that's the first time that a brand has to go, oops, our words don't match our actions. And this happens again and again and again, where companies just say, we are... We're here to support. We're here to stand with. We are aligned with. They use all kinds of words, but the meaningful action just isn't there. Well, especially, I don't know, if we're talking specifically about like Pride Month. I mean, (laughs) brands that are using the rainbow to increase their sales are almost less authentic. This is going to sound controversial. Stay with me. It's almost less authentic than like Chick-fil-A because at least Chick-fil-A genuinely supports their hateful cause, right? They genuinely (laughs) support hateful candidates. They're actually putting their money where their mouth is. Rainbow washing, like, will at least go donate to like an LGBTQ organization, right? Right. It's like, why why is soap or, or corn chips or whatever telling me they're okay with like how I fuck. Like this is not what I need to be thinking about right now. <laughs> like why is why is this part of your marketing, right? And I I, I love that. I always I joke because there's like gay Doritos, gay shampoo, there's gay burritos, there is gay everything. And I have like a whole I give talks where I basically get up in front of people and say, look, you can buy gay Doritos, you can buy gay shampoo. It's amazing what is now, you know, there was a sandwich in the UK that was like um the LGBTQ or LGBT sandwich of le- lettuce, bacon, tomato and guacamole. I shit you not. It was the most hilarious bullshit. And it was just companies are trying to, right, align themselves. They want to do the right thing. Here's the thing. I've never talked to a marketer who sits there and is like, we are scheming against the LGBT community. No, they want to do the right thing. They genuinely want their brand to be on the right side of history and aligned with the right kind of where consumer preferences and attitudes are going. Nobody intends to be performative. But what most companies don't understand is that it is, in my opinion, more harmful to be performative than it is to do nothing at all, to your point about Chick-fil-A. Like, show us as consumers what we're dealing with authentically. Let us make a decision based on the reality of your brand. Don't try to hide behind the rainbow logo as an ally, especially at a time, just to bring it back to 2023, when the rights that we have fought for and people have died for are now being threatened again by a very loud and vocal political system that is actively perpetuating, like, really harmful mistruths about trans people, about gay people. I mean, there's a risk that me and my wife, who, by the way, are celebrating our one seven-year marriage anniversary oh, next yay. month. Congrats. I know, right? <laughs> thanks, thanks. I guess the theme this year is like, I don't know, copper? Like, I'm fucked. I have no idea. It's stupid. <laughs> stupid. But there's a chance that, yeah, this whole thing about marriage equality that we took for granted, by the way, 2015 was when we got the federal right to marry. We got married in 2016. So one year later this could be overturned. This could be brought back to the Supreme Court. Like this is not, these are not rights that I think have as much staying power as people assume given all of the rainbow logos. And I think that's the biggest, honestly, that's the biggest threat of performative allyship. It creates an illusion of progress where it makes the world seem a lot more equitable than it really is. Look, all these companies, Bud Light is supporting the gays. They must be fine. The gays must need no more allyship, right? Because now there's gay Doritos. No, (laughs) the fight is here. It is happening right now. And we need more people to take it seriously. And all of these campaigns distract. So when when brands collaborate with celebrities, uh, you know, they're taking a big risk because this person has to align with this brand's values now basically forever. 
Um, and then when they step out of line, the brand has a choice to make. So where is that line for brands? Uh, what, what What's too controversial for a celebrity to do? Oh, God, right? I mean, that's the thing. Is controversy necessarily a bad thing if you're a brand, right? Because the more attention paid to a celebrity, right, the more residual engagement you get as a brand, you know, their brand ambassador of you. I think that there is a line and I think that line exists on what will piss people off the most. Unfortunately, it is not about what the company itself believes because corporate values are really, really kind of kind of bullshit. Sorry to say it, but corporate values are mostly just wallpaper. They're just something you put on the break room wall. It's like, we believe in diversity. Great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I think that the, the people making the decision on when to cut someone like a Kanye, they're making a calculation on how big is the reaction going to be. And if that reaction from the public is going to be outsized to the profit of continuing to stay, yeah, they make their choice. It's really a matter of dollar and cents. And I think in this case with Kanye, it was just too far, too far. With traditional media going away, there's no such thing as um, you know channels and who has followers now are individuals, personal brands. And so a brand could double down on a very hateful figure if they see dollar signs behind it. They're not gonna make the choice based on what's right or wrong, because that doesn't, that doesn't exist in business. Business is about making money and growing. It's about how big is the reaction going to be? How pissed off are we gonna make people? And that will that become unprofitable? That's you know it to be true. It's like a that's a non-answer because you know the answer. Companies exist to make money. But then like like Nike made an interesting choice and made Colin Kaepernick like the face of their campaign. Yes, because Nike knows that this is a cultural zeitgeist that they can now take to the bank because they are not the NFL. The Nike and the uh, Nike brand and the NFL brand are very different brands. Very very different brands. Nike is a global global, global, global phenomenon. The NFL is here, right? Nike is a brand that has always been pushing the limits with, with, with um, uh, uh, athletes who are, uh, you know, the top of their game, but also the top of our cultural zeitgeist. For, for Nike, this was a perfect, absolutely perfect marketing play to say, you know, what was it Stanford? Stand for so something or you'll fall for anything, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> and so it was just great PR. Nike had no risk right, in alienating NFL fans. They knew that for them, their core audience were people that were going to support. These are very calculated organizations spending millions on consumer research to kind of get ahead of these uh, controversial takes to kind of know what will land and what won't. Um, and Nike saw fantastic results from that campaign. I mean, the proof is in the, you know, in the results itself. It went gangbusters, it went viral, and the core audience of Nike doubled down saying, yes, this is this is what we, you know, want. And I'm sure Nike gained, you know, uh, some some new respect from folks that were pretty much, you know, didn't care about them before. By taking a stand, by, by making their choice clear, they were able to be part of a conversation that they then now owned. It became the Nike story, not just Colin Kaepernick. And what's really the point here is that what was he protesting? Police brutality. Who is talking about that? Nobody. Everyone's concerned with Colin Kaepernick's lost NFL career. Like that's... Like that's the most important part of this story. The thing that he sacrificed himself for is lost in the sauce. We just don't care about it. This whole conversation has completely ignored the whole point of his protest. And that's a great metaphor for this entire conversation about woke washed marketing. It becomes about the brand. Can you believe Kanye said this? Can you believe that? And not the, or the marginalized communities trying to just get some of that spotlight. Yeah, no real change is actually happen. And Nike continues to use child labor in Asia. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Did you know that like half the shit, when we're, I, there's a, there's, you know, 
H&M, Primark, and Target in Pride on Pride Months will have these like Pride campaigns. You've seen like the Pride like clothing that they do. There's like fanny packs and windbreakers and hats and bucket hats. I mean, Target's been doing it for a while, but only in urban cities, not like in my hometown, the Target that I worked in when I was 16 years old. Uh, but the one in Boston has it. The one in Woburn, Massachusetts did not have any Pride gear for the record. Wow. For the record. Oh, it's calculated. Kiki, it's all calculated. But um, there was a New York Times story that came out, I think, a couple of years ago that showed that, like, all of these, this rainbow festooned merchandise, so, like, again, the bucket hat and the fanny packs, were manufactured in countries where it's illegal to be gay. So China, Turkey, Myanmar. You could be, like, put to death for being gay in these countries, and they're over here responsible for creating these products that are then sold in the U.S. It is so, if you really knew some of the history behind this, you'd be shocked, horrified. Thank you, Katie. We appreciate you reading these corporations for filth. We know we're not telling you anything you don't know here. Huge corporations are generally bad. Duh. But it's fun to gawk. Someday, when global warming does its thing and we're all getting washed into the sea, and we're clinging onto laundry tubs for dear life, well, they better have a goddamn rainbow on them, so at least we know they cared. However, businesses aren't the only ones that prey on people's emotions or identity to manipulate them into doing what they want. I mean, come on, we got politicians, priests, the usual suspects. But sometimes social and cultural movements take on lives of their own, and the people behind them are able to get their followers to believe some pretty crazy shit. So on the next episode, just in time for spooky season, we're talking to Chelsea Weber-Smith, host of the American Hysteria podcast, about how fear of evil forces can be used in really wicked ways. There are rich people who control our lives, don't get me wrong, but it's a, a lot more of a complicated problem and that sucks, right? It's like, that's another big thing is like, how great would it be if there was like one evil group that controlled the world and if we just blew them up, everything would be fine. But like the actual world is very complicated. So it's like, in order to make change, you have to do like really boring things like, petition in your community, right? <laughs> or like do grassroots organizing. And most people would rather just be like, you know, I'm going to take the sword in the light of God and like stab the devil in the head. And then I win. New episodes come out every other Thursday. Giving us a rating and a review is a huge help and make sure other people can find the show. Indecent is a production of Next Chapter Podcast. Go to ncpodcast.com to learn more. And if you have something you want us to talk about, a guest you want to recommend, or there's a flavor of gay Doritos you want us to try, well, shoot us an email at indecentthepod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at indecentkiki. Follow me at It's Kiki Anderson. And my producers, as always, are Max Wolfson and Pete Musto. And our executive producer is Jeremiah Tittle. I'm Kiki Anderson, and this has been Indecent, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident? That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.
Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Next Chapter Podcasts.